Um, so it's great to be with you again, uh, carrying on in the book of Ezra this morning. And, um, and last week, my aim was to strengthen you in your faith in the middle of hard times, that you would increasingly trust God because you know that he's good and you know that he's in control and you know that he's working all things for good and that nothing can frustrate his plans for his church and, and for you. What I didn't make totally clear, though, was that that confidence uh, is only proven to be uh, not misplaced, often with hindsight and with a longer perspective. We often don't see that breakthrough in the moment. When we do, we praise God, we thank him for answered prayer. But often, sadly, God lets rubbish stuff happen, and he lets rubbish stuff persist, and we are in the middle of it, and it's hard to trust him in those times. And quite often, we feel as though he's absent. We feel as though he, perhaps he isn't with us. Perhaps he isn't working all things for good, which is absolute rubbish. And that's why last week I wanted to encourage you to trust in God all the more, to continue to exercise that trust in him in difficult times. And in today's chapters that we're looking at in Ezra, chapter 3 and chapter 4, we see God allowing situations to persist. The, 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 the book doesn't tell us that God's allowing it to, but the very fact that it's happening means that God's letting it happen. We see the enemies of the people of God and of the purposes of God seeming to win, at least this week anyway. John gets to speak next week, and I won't uh, spoil what happens, but this week at least, the enemies of God's people win. Sad. It must be difficult for them. And so in today's chapters, this first wave of returning exiles have settled. You know, they've probably built homes again. They've probably reopened wells again. Uh, They've settled and they're finally in a position to turn their attention to the thing that God stirred Cyrus to send them back to do and the thing that God stirred them to come and do. And that is to rebuild the temple. And it says in verses 1 to 3, of Ezra chapter 3, when the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen, and they built, uh, uh, sorry, and they built the altar of God, oh, God, totally. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it's written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the land, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. I found that a fascinating start to the two chapters that I'm looking at today, because it seems a bit backwards. They are rebuilding the temple, and they start with the altar, It feels a bit like building a house from the ground up and started with a fully fitted functioning kitchen. Like, how are you going to work around that? You know, we've just rebuilt this altar. You know, what if we drop a beam on it when we're doing the roof? You know, it it seems weird to start that way around. But the writer tells us why they built the altar first. They built the altar first for fear of the peoples around them, for fear of the peoples in the land. 
they would have seen their being taken into exile as God's judgment on them for having abandoned him and, and his ways. They would have now, having returned from exile, as miraculous as it was, they would have seen this being surrounded by the peoples around them as, as, as something that was scary, that had felt very vulnerable. And so for them, what's the solution? Well, we need to return to the old things. We need to return to the old ways. We need to do what God has called us to do. And so for them, that meant returning to the heart of their worship, returning to the heart of things. And so they rebuilt the altar so that they could offer sacrifices. Sacrifices that God accepted, that dealt with their sins. Sacrifices that were, were, were assigned to the people around them. We are God's covenant people. He receives our sacrifices. He delights to be our God and we are his people. And it would have been like a, a statement to those around them. He's ours, we're his. He's got us. We can feel confident knowing that we're doing things right again and he will protect us. It was, a, as I say, it was a returning to the heart of things. And I want to just stay here for a moment before I carry on with the passage because we are in a time of regathering and rebuilding that you could say is similar to this. You could say is similar to this. And this time last year, I laid two big vision items before you. One was that we weren't going to reopen the coffee shop in the format that it was in and that we were seeking to um, sort of uh, refocus what we were doing with this centre and with that space and with this space. And the second one was that we were exploring becoming one church with Beulah Family Church. Now, a year later, uh, and with the moving on of uh, Jazz and Tim, we realised at the end of last year, the beginning of this year, that we couldn't deliver that, uh, that, the dream that we had for this place as, as easily as we thought we were going to be able to. In June, partly in recognition of that, we did reopen the coffee shop because we didn't really know what else to do and we thought it's better that it's open than it's shut. And we found very quickly that it was financially unviable again and we've closed it and we have no plans to reopen it. We have seen the, the huge encouragement of Every Life Tells a Story. You know, 24 to 30 guests coming. It's been two weeks now. Absolutely loving it. And you think, God, yeah, there are things that we're going to be able to do here in service of the community and, and as outreach that are going to be really fruitful. But it's just a first fruit. We still don't know exactly how it's going to run. Secondly, the coming together with Beulah Family Church. For, for our part, there wasn't a no from you or from the eldership, but there was, a, there was a sense that the timing was wrong, that we needed to come back together and we needed to rebuild relationship. And, and that's what we've begun to do. At Beulah Family Church, the difficulty was within the eldership and the journeying of this decision put strain on their relationships to the point where the solution that they found with Trevor Payne, who, who we relate to, or at least who we related to apostolically until very sadly his wife was taken ill and he's had to step down from all ministry with immediate effect. The solution they came to was that they would put a pause on all big decisions for a year. And we're in that year now. But I want to encourage you with two things. Just because we can't see what God's doing, just because very much doesn't appear to be happening, it doesn't mean that things aren't happening. We are praying and God is moving and things are happening. As I say, with, with this place, we can look at Every Life Tells a Story 
And we can thank God for that. And we can, we can trust that it will be the first of many things that will happen here. Perhaps not overnight, but in time. With Beulah Family Church and, and that whole decision-making process, no, no decision-making conversations are happening. We are on pause. But New Addington has happened. Three churches have come together to launch some people and see a church planted. It's, it's wonderful. And, and Dave and Richard, who will be leading Castle Hill Church in New Addington, desire to join us in whatever collaborative future we may or may not have together. In this year, the model that we're looking at has changed as well. We're not looking at becoming one church in three locations. We're looking at becoming a network of churches working really closely together, perhaps as one charity. All, none of these things are decisions that have been made, though. These are, this is kind of direction of travel and what God appears to be unfolding before us. Morning, Holly. <laughs> See, Boller, it's not just you I do it to. <laughs> Ollie, it's so good to have you in a sermon for so long. We, yeah. Right, anyway, so God's doing wonderful things. And I want to encourage you uh, to, to believe that, to believe that God is at work. Things will unfold. And also I want to ask you to be patient. What we are doing in this season, coming back together, rebuilding relationship, is good and right. We are getting our hearts right we are starting things well. And I don't say this now, what I'm about to say now, I don't say now because of me or because of you now. I say this because of things that I've seen in me over the years. I say this because of things I've seen in the church at large over the years. So this isn't aimed at any of you. I'm, I find it scary how often and how far our hearts can wander as believers. It is scary. I see it in myself. How have I found myself in this place? How am I thinking about this situation like that? I look at other people. How have you completely abandoned your faith? How have you got to this place? You love Jesus so much and now you're ready to just let it all go. I've seen it so often. It's scary how easily it happens. I used to lead the Duke of Edinburgh Award when I was a teacher, and, and everyone's favourite part of the Duke of Edinburgh Award is the expedition. I, um, after a couple of years of leading it, I, I began to notice that expedition groups often um, start, they, they know two things at the start of their expedition. They are absolutely certain where they are, and they are absolutely certain where they need to get to, and they are full of energy. All right? And so people starting their Duke of Edinburgh expedition, knowing where they are, knowing where they need to get to, and being full of energy, not paying much attention, make stupid decisions at the start of their expedition, small navigational errors, and small navigational errors when you're full of energy and you're running at a pace can lead to you being really lost in the long term. And so after a couple of years of, of noticing this, I started to train all of my groups, start really slowly. Start really, like boringly slowly. Start really slowly. Make sure that you don't make any silly mistakes at the outset, because if you start right, you will most likely end right, because you're keeping, <laughs> you're keeping your heart right. You're keeping aligned. If you, if you start right, you will most likely finish well. 
I don't want that to be us, that we make small errors at the outset that end up being big mistakes in the long run. And we've done that. We've done that in recent months. I've done that. People have been hurt. We've seen that in the last year, haven't we? And so we are in a place where, as a congregation, we are resetting our hearts. We're starting with the altar. And that's good, and that's right. And so things aren't moving very quickly. I'm not moving very quickly. We're not moving very quickly. That is okay. I want to encourage you that that is okay. I've been a lead elder in a pandemic for longer than I've been a lead elder outside of one. We still haven't had more than 60% of our congregation return and join us in a physical gathering. To the best of our knowledge, everyone who I'm thinking of when I say they haven't been back with us, to the best of our knowledge, we believe they're going to at some point, but they don't feel ready now. And how do we rebuild when we're not rebuilding together? So it's slow. Life groups and life group leaders still haven't found the new normal after 18 months of change and challenge. It's it's good and right for us at this time to get our hearts right, to start with the altar. Anyway, let's keep going in today's passage. So after the altar was built, they turned to rebuilding the foundations. When the foundations were laid, the priests and the Levites led the people of Israel in a time of worship, praising God and thanking him for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever to Israel. But some of the older priests cried because they felt that the glory of the new temple didn't match the glory of the old temple. So much so that the sound of their crying mixed with the sound of people's praises and no one could tell one from the other. Which seems a shame and it also seems quite harsh because the temple wasn't finished. All they've done is build the altar and lay the foundations. They wanted to rebuild the temple. The people from around them came to them and said, we want to rebuild the temple with you. Can we join with you? We want to read the the temple with you. And Zerubbabel refused to let them. Zerubbabel said, uh, sorry, they said to Zerubbabel, let us build with you for we worship your God as you do, as we, and we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel said, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. And then we read that the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counsellors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, uh, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Artaxerxes, Bishlam and Mithridath and Tabeel and the rest of their associates wrote to Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. At that time, Artaxerxes commanded that the building of the temple or the rebuilding of the temple be stopped. And the period of time where they were not allowed to build the temple again was 20 years. 
So the people of God in exile for 70 years, feeling God's in this, he's, he has stirred the heart of King Cyrus to send us back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. God is good. God is in control. This is amazing. We are going to reinstate worship as our fathers taught us to, and it's going to be great. And then they are forced for another 20 years to halt all building work. Altars rebuilt, are still able to offer sacrifices, still able to worship, but they can't finish the task that God has laid on their heart. Can you be that patient? Do you know, the answer is yes, you can. Because we are people who live by the Spirit. We walk in step with the Spirit. And a fruit of the Spirit is patience. We can be that patient, just like they were even though it seems hard, even though we wish more were happening. But that, I'm not going to finish there, but that's pretty much the end of the two chapters that I'm speaking on today. Um, I, um, uh, yeah, I will, I will give you a small point of explanation here. I I feel called, I feel a desire, whether it's a calling from God or a desire from within me, I'd like to grow in the prophetic. And so as I prepare now, I'm asking God, what what might you say through me prophetically to these people today? And, and, And as I did that, this is where I felt God lead me. So I think there is a prophetic element to what I'm going to share with you now that doesn't mean it's for all of you, doesn't mean even mean it's right. I could be wrong. As I desire to grow in this, I could make mistakes. This might not be of God. You need to weigh it, as we are instructed to do with all prophetic words. Uh, And I think the the heart reorienting moment that that God may have on offer for us today is, is in how we respond to opposition around us. Because a rightly oriented heart, doesn't it, it starts with love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When we face opposition, that is what a rightly oriented heart does. But we don't always do that, do we? I know I don't. And I imagine that because you're people like me, that you don't always either. I think the the people that the writer of Ezra were talking about could really have done with hearing the Beatitudes. Hearing Jesus say, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake for then yours is the kingdom of heaven. And we would do well to remember that in our daily lives. As I was praying, asking God, you know, what might, what might you say prophetically to the people, I felt God um, draw my attention to Proverbs 25, verses 21 to 22, that says this, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. If you would never call that verse to mind, this is probably not for you anyway. <laughs> All right? If you would never call that verse to mind, this is not for you. If you would call that verse to mind, this might be for you. It isn't necessarily. I felt a challenge as I meditated on that verse that God was saying to me, my people don't always read that rightly. They read that with a wrong heart. They read that with a kind of that will teach them attitude as if the burning of coals is like a punishment that's over them. 
And, and I was reminded of, of, of uh, in Isaiah's vision, how, uh, how he was sanctified with a burning coal. And so I think this here is, it's God looking for righteous acts that lead people to repentance and faith. And so if our heart is ever that we're doing righteous deeds so that people will feel condemned or that that will teach them, I think God wants us to say this morning that that is not what he wants. And I felt God draw me to Proverbs 24, verse 17 to 18 that says this, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn his anger away from you. Now, there are some things that I don't know the answers to in this question, and um, sorry, in this passage. Was Zerubbabel right to respond so harshly to the peoples of the land around him? I don't know. You know, there's definitely a case to be made for him being righteously angry and protecting the sanctity of God's people. But there were prophecies that the nations would join in with the rebuilding of the temple. Did Zerubbabel miss something? Was it his fault that the peoples of the land around them were provoked to uh, be a, um, a thorn in their side for 20 years? I don't know. I don't know if the temple would have been built quicker if he'd have responded differently. No matter how far our hearts are from him, he is gracious and loving, and he wants us to turn to him again every day, doesn't he? We're going to enter into a time of communion now, um, and I want to read a short passage to you, uh, and then pray, and then I'm going to end, and the band are going to, we're going to go back up, um, and, uh, and we're going to just take communion together. The communion, by the way, is at the back, on two tables at the back, and uh, please help yourself. I want to say, because we are kind of mixing households a bit, if you would like to take communion with someone who's not in your household, or if you would like to invite someone who's not in your household to take communion with you, can you be sensitive in case people don't feel comfortable doing that? We've taken a bit of a step with the bread in that there is bread that you can tear and share, if you would like to. If you would not like to do that, there are cartons full of individual portions of bread Um, Similarly, there are cups uh, that you can pour wine into for a household or there are individual shot glasses. We are not a divided people, Croydon Jubilee Church. All right? There are... are, We are in a spiritual battle. We do have enemies, but they are not within this church. They are not within this church. We are one people. We have been given a ministry of reconciliation. We need not be afraid because Jesus, our great high priest, has made once and for all a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And so we come to him now with confidence. I want to read uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 6 to you in the hope that it encourages you as you take communion. And I want, to, I want to encourage you as well, if anything that I have said today does feel like, uh, like perhaps it was for you, um, it is totally fine for you to respond privately with God. If you would like to talk with someone and receive prayer, please do that as well. You will find friends here who will not judge you and who will love you. Um, and so this is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. 
This is Paul writing. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Father, I thank you that we approach you with confidence. I thank you that you are at work, that your kingdom will advance, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, even though there may be times where it seems they do. I thank you that we can trust you with our lives. And Lord, we trust you with our hearts and we surrender them to you again this morning. And I want to ask God that if it is necessary, would you create in us a clean heart this morning? Would you renew within us a right spirit. Because, Lord, we want to love you and we want to love one another the way that you have loved us. So fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're, going to, uh, we're going to lead a time of worship and there is communion to be taken. Do it with friends, do it with family. Let's pray. Let's thank God for what he's done and let's enjoy it.